0: Amen. Thank you, Doug. Good morning, City Light. All right, I'll take it. Uh, it, I'm I'm excited to be with you today. I love the story of David and Goliath. Uh, I think everybody loves an underdog story, unless maybe you're a Husker fan this morning. You might not love it. Then, uh, I think most of the time, we love these kinds of stories. And so as I was thinking about and praying about preparing for this morning, um, I just remember, I recalled this experience that I had in college. Okay, so if you'll indulge me for a minute, let me tell you uh, what happened. I went with some friends to Drake University, and uh, we were hanging out on campus in one of the buildings in a hallway, and it was just the three of us, me, two other guys, were standing there talking. It's a normal day. Uh, as we're talking, all of a sudden I see the guys that I'm talking to kind of lift their heads and their eyes get big. They're looking at something behind me, which is not a normal thing, right? You start to kind of wonder what's going on. About the time their eyes get big and they look up, I feel something laying on my shoulder. And I look down, and it is a hand. It is a huge hand. I mean, it like engulfs my shoulder. I felt like uh, maybe my hand on my two-year-old's shoulder. I thought whoever this is could just pick me up right here. And so I see my friend's eyes get big, this hand on my shoulder, and then this deep, sort of raspy, booming voice calls out from behind me, where's the bathroom and I mean, it, honestly, it just freaked me out. I, I, it felt like that was his normal voice. Like, this is not somebody trying to be creepy. It's just how he talks. And in the moment, all I could do was shrink and step away, and I said, who are you? Right? And I look back, and you're never going to believe who it was. All right, It was this guy. Can you see him kind of here? It looks sort of like Doug from a, The Right Angle, <laughs> but it's not. That is the ultimate warrior. Anybody a WWF or WWE fan here? All right. I didn't watch it a lot, but this guy won WrestleMania six by pinning Hulk Hogan. Look at it. It's like muscles on muscles. I bet I weighed as much as one of his thighs, right? And he stands behind me, grabs my shoulder, where's the bathroom? And I just, I mean, I freaked out. I'm like, this, I don't know what's going on here. Who are you? This hand is huge. The voice is loud. I got to get out of here and all All I could say in the moment was, who are you? right? Have you ever had an experience like that? An experience where you think, you know what, this is not normal. I come from a family of average to below average size people. This guy enters in and I don't know what to do with this. So I just start asking questions. When you have an experience like that, it's a little unsettling. You want more information. Who are you? Where did you come from? Why are you here? You know what that's like, anybody? Well, I think today maybe you've not met the ultimate warrior, all right? Uh, maybe today, I think as we look at the story of David and Goliath, we see an epic battle between a towering giant and a young shepherd king. And I think both of those characters can seem so out of place, so abnormal, so different from what we experience in our day-to-day life that we might just have the question, who are you? Is this even real? When we read a story like this in the Old Testament, I think because it's so different than what we're used to, it can seem like a fairy tale or a fable to us. We're left wanting more information. And so today my hope is that we can look at this story And see not a fairy tale or a fable, but see a story, an account that's very real and still has something to say to us today. And so here's my plan. Uh, I'm a storyteller, and so we're just going to walk through this story together. And instead of having three points like we sometimes do for a sermon, I'm just going to ask three questions, okay? They're this. Who are you? Who are you? And who are you? We're going to ask the same question three times, okay? And we're going to track through this story. So let's dive in together. The story starts with David in the field tending his dad's sheep and his three older brothers out on the front lines of battle, all right? Um, And uh, they are fighting the Philistines. So there's this battle happening between the Israelites and the Philistines. The Philistines are Israel's enemies. They're living on land that's supposed to be Israel's. They are worshiping gods that are not Israel's God, and they just like to fight. And so they've drawn up this battle line, and David's brothers have been out there fighting for Israel. At least that's what Jesse thinks, David's dad. They've been gone for 40 days. And like any good dad, Jesse starts getting nervous. Man, my boys, they've been gone for 40 days. Hey, David, come here. I got this uh, crackers and cheese tray. Take that out to your brothers and their commander and see if you can get a, uh, a token, anything, some good news that your brothers are doing all right. Bring me back news from the battle. And so it turns out that while this is going on, Jesse's concerns are warranted. Things have not been going well for Israel on the battlefield. You see, they've been there for 40 days Uh, standing against the Philistines, but the Philistines, they had an ace in the hole. You know what it was. They drew up a battle line, the army all standing together, but only one of the Philistine soldiers was prepared to fight. Only one of them intended to do any battle at all. You know who it is. It was a giant, hulking man named Goliath. The Philistines saw him as their champion, their ultimate warrior. Right? He stood, according to biblical accounts, nine feet, nine inches tall. That's almost twice my size. Okay? He had armor that weighed 125 pounds. He held a spear, and the head of the spear alone weighed 15 pounds. And in addition to all of that, he had a helmet, a sword, a shield, and a javelin. He was a well-armed, well-armored tank of a man. And he would step out from the battle line. And he would challenge the army of Israel to a one-man fight. This is what he would say. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why have you come out to draw up for battle? Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? Choose a man for yourselves and let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will be your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall be our servants and serve us. That's my best giant warrior voice, all right? It might be a little weak. That's the best I got. So he's calling out to Israel, and he says, I want a one-man battle. And that may seem weird to us today. Now, why would an army agree to a one-man battle? Why would you stake the uh, whole war on a fight between one guy from each side? What, couldn't Saul just said, all right, a little strategy here. I'm going to swarm Goliath with 100 guys. We're going to go man-to-man on the rest of them and see how we fare. Right? Why would you go man-to-man and make an agreement like this? Well, it turns out that a representative battle... Uh, one where one man, one soldier from each side fights and determines the outcome for both parties. A representative battle in these days wasn't all that uncommon. And I think, if we think about it, it's not all that uncommon for us either. Uh, When we go to the polls and vote for politicians, we're actually selecting representatives to fight our political battles. When we get into legal trouble, we hire lawyers to go fight our legal battles. If the IRS comes after us to audit us, we hire an accountant that we hope beats theirs in the battle, right? We do uh, representative battles pretty often, maybe just not in war. So why would the Philistines and the Israelites agree to this? I think it's, uh, maybe there's at least one reason. I think there's an opportunity in representative battle to have very little death, right? The Philistines, they've got a champion, and they think, man, if Goliath goes out and fights, if we win, then nobody from our side dies, not even one. And we kill one of their guys, but instead of a valley of dead bodies, we get an army of slave labor. That's a win. And for the losing side, you think, I mean, we'll lose one guy and we'll lose our freedom, but we get to save our lives. And a lot of people would make that trade. They'd take that gamble. And so a a representative battle seems foreign to us today, but it had a place in the time of David and Goliath. This isn't weird to them. And so let's get back to the story. Goliath calls out for a challenger. He says, I want a one-man battle. Send me your best. And so our first, who are you today, goes to Goliath. Goliath, who are you? And we'll start with the soldiers in Israel's army. Now, Goliath has been challenging them every day, twice a day, for 40 days. Every soldier in the army of Israel has heard his taunts. They've heard his challenge, and not one of them has stepped up to the plate. You get the idea that every soldier, when they saw Goliath, starts tweeting, and hashtag nope starts trending on Twitter in Israel, right? Not me. I'm not going. They're like me when the ultimate warrior touched my shoulder. I just got to duck and run. Where's my escape route? Goliath, who are you? You're big, you're strong, you're not like us. They ask the question, Goliath, who are you? And they come to the conclusion, that Israelite soldiers answer, he's a giant champion warrior that none of us could defeat. Here's what the Bible says. All the men of Israel, when they saw the man, fled from him and were much afraid. Things are not looking good for Israel at this point. Uh, but right when the story starts to get depressing, uh, little young uh, shepherd King David shows up with his uh, crackers and cheese tray, right? And, and he brings some life to the party. He sees what's going on. He sees Goliath, hears the taunts, watches his brothers and the army tuck tail and run. And, Go- and David then asks, Goliath, who are you? But it has a different meaning when David says it. This is what David said. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? When David says, Goliath, who are you? He answers, he's simply a man rebelling against God. All right? The question for all of Israel at this point is, who is Goliath? Who is this champion and what are we to do about it? The soldiers see him and they say, who are you in fear and in doubt? They see a champion that none of them can defeat. But David, he steps in and he sees Goliath and says, who are you in faith? He sees a man, a big man, but a man standing against God. For David, the situation is like you or me trying to step on a big cricket or a little cricket. It doesn't matter to us. The size of the cricket doesn't matter because no cricket can withstand the stomp of your shoe. And so David uh, has a totally different outlook on the situation. Everybody's asking the same question, but they're coming at it from different angles. The army, uh, the soldiers of the Israelite army, they look at Goliath and compare him to themselves. David looks at Goliath and compares him to God. One perspective inspires fear. The other one inspires faith. And so from the very beginning, we see David show up on the scene and he stands out among the people of Israel. He's different. And so that leads us to the question, David, who are you? The story takes a turn here. After 40 days of fear and inaction, there's a man willing to step in and fight on behalf of Israel. David, who are you? Now, remember, he showed up because he was going to visit his brothers. They were there fighting, and they were among all the soldiers that saw Goliath and ran and hid. And so when David shows up, uh, there's word that he's got a little swagger, a little uncommon confidence in the Lord, right? Everybody else says, who are you, Goliath? And David says, who are you? He's got a little swagger. And his brothers start noticing David's getting more attention than we are. It's similar to when Samuel walks up to anoint a king among the same brothers. These three get passed over and David gets all the attention. They see this happening again. And Eliab, the oldest brother, he goes all older brother on David, right? He says, who are you, David? I know who you are. You're a shepherd, not a soldier, You're here to watch the battle, not to fight in it. Our first who are you to David comes from his oldest brother, and his brother says, you're a shepherd. You are only a shepherd. Now, we see in the Scripture that neither David nor none of the other soldiers actually believed that he was just a shepherd. His older brother said it, but nobody believed it, and we know that because David's response to Goliath keeps spreading among the soldiers. In fact, it spreads so far and wide that King Saul eventually hears about it. And when Saul, the king, hears, man, somebody might be willing to fight Goliath, he says, send him to me. I got to talk to this guy. And so David, he gets uh, a a meeting with the king. And he steps into the room and he pulls his best Katniss Everdeen and says, I volunteer, right? I'll fight the giant. This uh, This is what he says. Oh, sorry. The tiny young shepherd king offers to fight the huge experienced champion warrior. Saul sees a mismatch. You're a little boy. He's a giant, and he calls David on it. This is what uh, Saul says. You're not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth, and he has been a man of war from his youth. David, who are you? Saul looks at him when he enters the room, says, I volunteer, and he says, you're just a boy. Young boys inexperienced in battle don't fight giant men of war and win. uh, Saul sees David and says, you're just a young boy. Now, truth be told, Eliab and Saul are both right, aren't they? David is a shepherd boy. They're not wrong from an external perspective. They look at David and they see who he is. The problem is there's more to David than meets the eye. Do You remember what happened last week when David was anointed king? They poured oil on him, on his head and his beard. It ran down and at the same time that happened, the Bible says the Spirit of God rushed on him from that day forward. There was more to David than met the eye, so he may be a young shepherd boy, but he's a young shepherd boy who was anointed king by God, and he walked with the power of the Spirit of God dwelling inside him. There's more to David than met the eye. And so David responds to Saul. He says, I got to broaden your picture. Let me tell you who I am. He says, I may be a shepherd, but I've saved my sheep from the teeth of lions and bears when God saved me from their paws. He says, uh, Goliath is no different from one of them. If God could save me from the paw of a lion or a bear, he can certainly save me from the hand of a giant. I love David's answer. I love how David talks to Saul because you see in it, That David is different. He says, I'm able to save my sheep because God saved me. Who does David say that he is? He says, I am a saved savior. The only reason that I could save my sheep from the teeth of a bear or a lion is because God saved me from their claws. The only way that I will save my people from the sword of a giant is if God saves me from their hand. Da- Saul saw in David a young boy inexperienced in battle, but David looked at himself and he saw a man well experienced in God's power to save. David was, Saul was looking for a man of war to fight Goliath, the rebel against God, but David was looking to God to fight the battle against God. David had a different perspective. If God could save David from the lion, he could save him from Goliath. And so Saul hears David's response, and he buys it. I don't have anybody else. You seem confident. Let's equip you and send you to battle. And so he says, you can use my armor if you want. David tests it out a little bit. After a couple minutes, he ditches it. He says, no, I'll go with my sling and my stone. Now, If you haven't pictured David as a young boy yet, does this help? He's more confident going into battle with a slingshot than with a sword and a shield. He's a young boy going to fight a man of war, a champion. And he goes out, he takes position, and Goliath gets the final David, who are you? This is what Goliath says. Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the air and to the beasts of the field. Goliath asks, David, who are you? And he concludes, you're an unarmed, outmatched, weak opponent. Goliath sees a little boy with a stick sword, and in his mind the battle's over before it ever began. Who is David? Eliab saw a shepherd. Saul saw a little boy. Goliath saw an outmatched opponent, but David himself, he saw himself as a representative soldier of the Lord. He saw himself as a representative going out to battle on behalf of God himself. Look how many times he mentions God in his battlefield speech. Doug read it just a little earlier. I'll get pieces of it. He says, I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, the Lord will deliver you into my hand, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that all this assembly may know that the Lord saves not with sword and spear. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. David saw himself as a representative soldier. But he wasn't like Goliath, who was just the best soldier among his army. He saw himself as a representative soldier of God, of the living God, who doesn't need a sword or a spear to win a battle. He can use a shepherd boy and a slingshot. He knows that God doesn't need a sword to save. He can use anything, the battle, the whole battle, and everybody in it is the Lord's. And so uh, David knew God has saved me without arms and armor before. He will do it again, and that's just what God did. The battle was short. David runs out with a sling and a stone. He loads one up, swings it around, lets it fly, and he landed a headshot on the giant that sank into his forehead and with the first stone this giant that moments before was towering over a young shepherd boy now was bowed face down before a mighty king. This David didn't need a sword, right? Cuz the battle is the Lord's. David ran up to Goliath, grabbed Goliath's sword and ended the rebellion. You see the irony? The same sword that Goliath had just trusted that he would use to defy the living God, that sword was used to end his defiance. God did not need a sword. Goliath already had one. He was going to use it, right? Who is Goliath? He was a big man fighting a living God. Who was David? He was a tiny young shepherd king trusting God to save him as he would save God's people. And so I say, as we were walking through the story, I said, we're going to ask, who are you three times? The first one went to Goliath. The second one went to David. And now I want to give the third one to you. In light of the story of David and Goliath, who are you? We have this epic account of a towering giant, a cowering army, and an underdog that comes out on top. You read that story, who do you connect with? Who are you? I believe that this story is in the Bible. It's in this particular place in the Bible for a reason. I think in part, God wants to show us who we are. He wants to hold up a mirror before us so we can read that story and in it see our story. And so I want to ask again, you've heard the story, you know it. It's ultra familiar in the story of David and Goliath. Who are you? Have you ever listened to Caleb? I think your, your answer might be David. I'm David. I want to be like David. You hear the songs that are sung, right? There are all kinds of them about David and Goliath. The stone was just the right size to put the giant on the ground. Right? Or watch your giants fall. All right, everybody say amen. He's not the worship leader. All right, <laughs> Eric, stick to preaching. Don't sing to us anymore. You've heard all those songs though, right? There are all kinds of them on Caleb. And they're positive and encouraging. They encourage us to take the right tools, get a little faith, and go slay our giants. But I don't think that's what God has for us in this story today. So let me lay out for you the way I see the picture. We are not David. We are Israel. I am not David, I am Israel, you are not David, you are Israel. All right, track with me for a minute. I think some of us are like Saul. Some of us, when we see the battle coming, we start looking for somebody to fight it. Sometimes we think it's ourselves, sometimes we're looking for somebody else, but you start saying, I'm going to prepare I'm going to be ready, I'm going to equip somebody to fight and win this battle. And so when David shows up, Saul says, I got somebody willing, I'm going to equip you, here's all the armor that you're going to need, here's the sword, I'm going to equip somebody for battle. And if that's who you are, you're saying, I just need to get ready, I'm going to look for the best soldier, I'm going to be the best soldier to fight this battle, then our plan is work harder, try harder, fight harder, be a winner, and save the day. I think some of us are like Saul, longing for uh, the right equipment so that we can go into battle ourselves. I think others of us are like the soldiers on the front line. I think we see the giant and we tuck tail and run. Truth be told, this is what I do, right? I am not good at facing giants. The uh, ultimate warrior touches my shoulder. I just duck and I'm looking for an escape, right? If that's you, if you're like me, or the Israelites, soldiers on the front lines, what's your plan when the battle's at hand? Run faster, hide better, and we might just avoid this thing altogether, right? Whether your response is fight or flight, I just want to say we are prone to depend on ourselves. When the battle comes, we are prone to say, what can I do? How can I be prepared or how can I get out? We're prone to depend on ourselves. I want to tell you today, I think that's what we're supposed to see in this story. I think that's where we're supposed to connect in this story. And I think some of you need to hear this today. When we read this story, we ought not put ourselves in David's place. All right, this is what Pastor Tim Chester says The message of the Bible is not that we are called to save the world, its message is that we have a Savior. The message of 1 Samuel 17 is not that we are called to be like David, it's good news that we have a David. Are you tracking with me? Yes. Doug said it last week and I want to say it again, David's life gets its full meaning not when it points to us, not when it informs us, not when we get leadership lessons from David. David's life gets its full meaning when it points us to Jesus. Jesus. That's why this story is in the Bible. Oh, City Light, hear me clearly. You do not need to be the Savior. You need the Savior. You see the difference? When we hear this story, we need to identify with the soldiers of Israel. We don't know how to fight. We're unable to fight. When we see Goliath rebelling against God, a giant standing between us and our king, we ought to look at the sin in our own hearts. And say, there's something in us causing me to rebel against God. And it's scary, and there's a battle going on inside. And when we read this story, we ought to see David and say, God provided a representative warrior for them, and I long for a David in my heart, in my life, in my battle. And when we have that longing, we look to Jesus, who's the only one who can fulfill it. Jesus is the greater David. Now, I don't know what your giant looks like today. Maybe work is about to fire you. Maybe your kids have abandoned their faith. Maybe you are staring divorce in the eyes. Maybe there are more bills to pay than dollars to pay them. Maybe you've got a habit that's killing you that you just can't kick. I don't know what your battle looks like today. But when the giants in our lives, when the enemies that come at us stand before us taunting, the temptation is to read a story like this and say, I want to be David. I want to find the the stone that I can sling and get that giant out of the way. I want to be David. And I want to say to you, resist that temptation. Don't white knuckle it. Don't pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Don't try harder, work harder, stress harder, hide harder, trying to save yourself. That is not the point of this story. Somebody needs to hear this this morning. There are real enemies in our lives, all right? Sin and temptation lurk, and they are real. The battle is before us. But just like the Israelite soldiers on the front lines of battle, They didn't go out and fight on their own. A representative went in, killed the giant, and then those Israelite soldiers pursued pursued them in their defeat. You know how they fought? They didn't fight for victory. They fought from victory. Jesus is our David. We don't fight for his victory. We fight from his victory. It's very clear in scripture. I'm going to read one more verse to you. It comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It says this, he made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf. That's God made Jesus to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus became sin on our behalf. He represented us in the battle. He took it off of us and put it onto him. He took it for us, because of us, in our place. He stood in the gap on our behalf. And he did it all, not so that he could weaken sin enough that we could land the death blow. He did it all not to challenge us to pick up our swords and go finish the fight. He did it all so that our victory can be caught up in his victory. We get to follow in the victory march of our risen Savior and King. Listen, Jesus took sin on us, our sin on, uh, on himself, and it was a heavy battle. He suffered and died at the hands of our enemy. And the good news of the gospel is that death wasn't the ultimate warrior in that battle right? Jesus was. Jesus took sin on, our pla- on, on himself in our place. He paid the ultimate price, and then he rose again as the ultimate warrior, conquering sin and death for all time, for you and for me. When you are facing a battle today or tomorrow or all of your life, the call is not to buck up, pull up, work harder, and fight on your own. The call is to look to the Savior who saved us and follow him in his victory. The good news of 1 Samuel 17 is that the Lord does not save with sword or spear. He saves with his son. We can go out and live in that truth today and all our days. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Awesome God, I thank you for good stories I just, God, it's not a fable or a fairy tale. It's an account of what happened. And these, the, the New Testament says that these things happened to them in the Old Testament so that it could instruct us on this side of the cross. And so, God, I thank you that these accounts are here for our instruction. And that we can look at them and not see a need for us to step up or rise up or save ourselves. But we're gonna look at these stories and celebrate all that you have done for us. Oh, Jesus, we would be nothing without you. We would be lost and defeated without you. God, would you make your son more beautiful to us today? Because the story of David and Goliath is real. Jesus, we need you. We need a representative warrior. Would you teach us to walk in your victory all of our days? We love you. We pray this in your name. Amen.